I'm Joseph. And I'm Nick. And this is Fish Jelly. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Mm, I did not sleep well last night, so I'm a little rough right now. I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. It, it might be the demons. <sighs> this weekend in Los Angeles is DTLA Proud. Yes. Which is the Gay Pride uh, Festival. I'm calling it the Gay Pride Festival, but it's inclusive of all the colors in the rainbow. Yes. Uh, in downtown LA. Yes. And I think they, if they made everybody that uh, bought tickets to any event should be, should have to participate at least for half an hour in some sort of street cleanup. And if you made everybody do that, that attended, I bet downtown would look nice. Well, you know, tickets are $20. What if, what if, uh, for people who uh, bring one, like they're they're all they're administered, they're given a trash bag, and anyone who fills it gets a free entrance. Oh yeah, but you don't like obviously you don't want to do it right before you enter because you'll probably be sweaty and gross, which some people like. But That's like true. maybe they have an event like the week before or the week after. You know, like it's like an. Uh, like a promissory thing. Like I promise to come back after the festivals done and clean the mess we made. I don't know. Yeah. But lots of the, uh, a lot of these gay men that I see at these events don't have the kind of integrity. I feel to come back and do that after they've, uh, ravaged themselves. So, you know, that would be hard. Promissories. That would be hard. Well, uh, I know the big, thing about dtla proud is a party called summer tramp yes we went once to the festival and i thought it was actually really cute because it's it was in a contained space it was at like a pershing square was it yeah Mm -hmm. so you know not a very large area but nicely contained and the party which included like like a swimming pool and slides and it looked really cool. The stage where people performing, I thought was very, their security. Yeah. I, I thought it was all very well put together. So of course the pandemic derailed it for a while. No, that we saw that at, we did that after the pandemic. We did. Yeah. That was 2021. Cause it was r- right at this time of year. It was right before I went to Venice that year. Oh, wow. So my memory, well, I know it started in 2016, I believe, but I didn't realize we had gone two years ago. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, I think it's a cool thing. Um, yeah, but did you remember getting drinks? Oh, gosh. Well, so <laughs> the drink situation, because, of course, all these homosexuals and their uh, allies were all, uh, and, well, and the lesbians and the trans people and all the queerdos. So I don't want to isolate people. But all the people in attendance were desperate to get alcohol. And the lines were outrageous. And we got stuck in a line with a super nice lady. Very nice. But cis woman. Yep. Mm-hmm. She was as drunk as the drunkest person she in life. She was drinking with the gays. Because <laughs> she was drinking with everyone. <laughs> so was, she was so nice. She, oh, she was trying. When you finally got to her, I mean, she was a delight. Oh, yeah. But but her uh, service time, she was not the uh, quickest checker at the grocery store. She was not. No, I, if, if I had been in charge at all, she would have been fired as nice as, as nice as she was. Oh, sorry. I know I sound rough, but anyway, that tried my patience, that lady moving on to films released. We didn't cover. Oh yes. Golda. Golda about, uh, Golda Meyer (laughs) played by Helen Mirren. Uh, we did not review directed by Guy Nativ. Uh, I saw this in Berlin this past year and it's not good. Uh, so I did not, I did not even bother to stress that we should watch it, even though of course I'm a fan of Helen Mirren, but this is this and and the, despite the fact that there's a Gentile playing a Jew, I, I don't think it's just not a good movie. I don't think anybody should or would want to claim owner, claim ownership of this movie, but uh, there you have it. The Hill. Uh, this is a football film starring Dennis Quaid uh, and the packaging of it looks real like uh, almost a faith-based kind of thing uh, directed by Jeff Celentano. So I did not have an interest in watching this. Dennis Quaid did that very sort of religious movie on a wing and a prayer, mm-hmm. but then he's also in strays, which is a very uh, like vulgar, explicit adult uh, 
movie about animals. You but know, you pick and you choose. You pick and you choose. So that's an interesting. Uh, yeah, you do it. You need to pay those bills. Bank of Dave. Uh, this is directed by Chris Foggin. I don't even know anything about it, that, except for the poster looks terrible, even though I do like the lead, Rory Kinnear, um, who I know you've at least seen. I know you've seen in Kill List, and I think, was he the prime minister in that Black Mirror episode that has to have sex with a pig? Oh, that's um, him? That's okay. him. But th- this is not that kind of film at all. But uh, Bank of Dave, I think it's about somebody that starts their own bank or something. It didn't look enthralling to me. The dive. I was surprised that you passed on this because uh, it sounds very much like something up your alley about uh, sisters stuck in a scenario that's kind of like 127 hours. What? I, I probably didn't realize what it was about. Directed though. by Maximilian Erlenwein. Uh, and one of the sisters, I think, is played by Lindsay Krause. Oh. Next, The Elephant Six Recording Company. A documentary that uh, is directed by Chad Stockfluff. That is an insider. Jan Stevens. Jan Stevens. This is Jan Stevens. Uh, an inside look at the 90s psychedelic rock collective that launched Neutral Milk Hotel, the Olivia Tremor Control, and the Apples in stereo. So, uh, musical deep dive that I already feel over my head in reading the description about. Next, Fremont. Uh, this looked interesting, uh, directed by Babak Jalali, uh, and more interestingly is written by Carolina Cavalli, whose film Amanda we reviewed a couple months ago. Amanda, okay. About the Italian girl. Oh, the one who, there's something about death in it. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> anyway, Piaf. This I really liked. I watched this out of Locarno last year, and it's basically about a woman who starts to transform into a horse. Believe it or not, this is not the first. Does it mean that my first thought was Sarah Jessica Parker? No, I mean, (laughs) poor thing. But yeah, uh, she's very uh, an equine face. Uh, This is not the first film I've seen where a woman is turning into some kind of horse related thing, but I really liked it. The soundtrack is out of control. Great. I think, uh, but it, it's a weird little art house film directed by Ann Oren. Uh, but if you have the opportunity and want to watch something fucking weird, uh, there you go. Hulu released something called vacation friends too. As they also released vacation friends, which we did not cover, oh. uh, Clay Tarver directs, but Lil Rel is in it. And Yvonne orgy and the oh. host of other people, you know, And then Netflix uh, had something called You Were So Not Invited to My Bat Mitzvah. Yes, directed by Sammy Cohen and starring Adam Sandler and his real-life wife and children. Mm. And I I don't know. I I mean, I will, of course, watch the new Adam Sandler with the Safdie brothers, but Adam Sandler and the bullshit Netflix movies he puts out, I can't. It's such a waste of time. Projects of interest without counting... Yeah, so I think I'd, I'm pretty sure we already mentioned, or I had already talked about how ben, Saeed Ben Saeed recently announced that Paul Verhoeven would be soon commencing a new project. Um, and excitingly, it looks to be a project called Without Counting uh, that is based on a Philip Gian book. And, you know, Philip Gian wrote L. Oh. Although the, the real title of L is O like oh dot 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 like the sound she makes when she's getting raped oh. and uh philip gian also wrote the source material for betty blue uh so I, I i have a gian book uh is it called marlene that i need to read anyway uh th- that's very exciting to me movies watched for fun so you and i uh collectively got through the saw films saw one two three and four I'm sure I'll make my way through the rest, but I did not rewatch rewatch Saw One. It's technically I've only seen that once the year it came out, so I probably shouldn't. I should rewatch that. Um, so last, like earlier last week, uh, I already told this story, but I was having a rough day at work, so I put on Saw, uh, which somehow I found soothing. But um, yeah, w- there was a period when we first met. Well, when we first met and the Saw movies were coming out like clockwork, I think we went like four years in a row or three. I was really into them for a minute. No, but, you, but the year we met, 
Saw 5 was about to come out. But then the following Halloween was... I think Saw, Saw 6, six and then, then Saw 7 was direct to DVD because we had to Redbox. Oh, it. that's okay. And then I think we went to the... And then, of course, we saw the remainder. Jigsaw, no. You didn't come to the press screening. Oh, I've seen all of them. You have, and we reviewed Spiral. Anyway, I um, revisiting Saw, it didn't... It wasn't as good as I think I thought it was. <laughs> oh, I know. I... That's why I had never uh, made a point to see Saw 2, 3, and 4 because I didn't like the first one. But I, they feel like bad TV movies. I have been rating them on Letterboxd, and uh, I've given all four two out of five. I don't think they're the worst things that have ever been made. And I think, you know, obviously the first one's sort of... The idea's interesting. I don't know what I like least about it because I think the way it looks is super cheap. Even though having now, because I started five that I, and I need to finish, they all maintain that look, which is like that. It, that jaundiced looking cheap TV film production. And the that, editing that is like. Horrible editing that I hate. I hate it. The performances. For, I mean, I feel like the only person who I can kind of take seriously is maybe like, strangely, Donnie Wahlberg seems <laughs> Which okay. is troubling. That's troubling to me. <laughs> but uh, yeah, they, they're not good. <laughs> they're, no, they're not good. I, I again, I think I need to rewatch the first one. But two, three, and four got a point five for me. I thought they're really bad. Uh, I watched something called Hell House LLC, oh which God. I remember watching maybe like five or six years ago, mm-hmm. and it's. It's better than you would think. Do you have you seen that movie? No. It's about it's a documentary about um some people dying at a haunted house and it's like mi- like mysterious, like no one knows what happened. Um but yeah, it's a documentary. I actually think the production quality is pretty good. The acting's pretty good and I think the story feels interesting ultimately anything involving like you know evil spirits or something is always kind of hard to get me in the end but Mm -hmm. um yeah i thought that was pretty good you watched something called influencer so did you oh what's that one with directed by curtis david harder about the uh young woman that uh traps women on an island and takes over their social media identity. I thought that was a good movie. Uh, yeah, I actually thought it was pretty decent. It's beautifully shot. Mm-hmm. And I think the story, there are a lot of holes. You could poke a lot of holes in it, but if you just kind of let it be what it is, I think it's very effective. Yes. It's about a beautiful young woman who has a prominent like birthmark on her face. And she lives, I believe, in Thailand. And she, yes, she, yeah, it takes place there. Mm-hmm. And she, uh, we see her uh, target uh, social media influencer, this blonde woman. And her, I mean, I guess you could call her because her thing is she's not a killer because she doesn't actually kill these people. She puts them on an island off the coast of Thailand that no one goes to and lets them die there. Yeah, basically. So we see that right away she leaves some woman out there and tells her like you're not going to survive more than like three days out here because there's no food or water and then we spend the next like month with this lady the one who left her there like back in the big city trying to cover her tracks living the life that this woman had because she was living in this beautiful there are a lot of holes like i don't know how she was able to stay in this luxury airbnb when this woman's missing but and for how long and uh, well it's more than i mean we we get a thing that says like three weeks later right. 28 days later so anyway the gag is that uh, the woman doesn't end up dying on the island so it all kind of comes back like full circle i probably shouldn't spoil it but yeah i would definitely watch I don't. Did we look up if this person's done another movie? Uh, I think they have. Because I would check it out based on inf- but I would definitely recommend Influencer. We saw it on Shutter, I think. No. No. Uh, we saw it on Amazon. Oh, it was on Amazon. Well, we didn't pay for it, so it's streaming somewhere for free. Um. But 
You watched City of the Living Dead? You also did too. What's that one? Uh, oh, uh, Curtis David Harder, Canadian. We reviewed his previous film, Spiral, starring uh, Boyer Chapman. Oh, Jeffrey Boyer Chapman. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, uh, and and I think that was, I thought that was pretty decent too. Uh, what city of the living dead that is a lucio fulci film and you've seen oh. the house by the cemetery <laughs> this one wasn't as fun as house by the cemetery because we no. don't because we don't have that little blonde kid <laughs> in the bad dubbing yeah uh or or the beyond which but we is, do have that one handsome guy in it yes well uh but this is the first technically of uh fulci's you know the trilogy the trilogy the thematic trilogy where people uh inadvertently open the gates of hell uh, <laughs> uh and like uh, going to ikea on a saturday afternoon <laughs> yeah of the three of those films i think the beyond is my favorite which this has some of the same cast as does uh the house by the cemetery but this is about a reporter and a psychic who uh find that these gates have been opened because a clergyman kills himself so it's not explained why and i know that other um priests and holy men have committed suicide throughout time and i didn't realize that every time some one of them does that you know satan gets to bubble up to the earth's crust but anyway uh it's it stars carlo de Mejo, who i didn't realize this when we watched house by the cemetery is the son of alita valley oh yeah you were very uh oh i love alita valley i mean from the 40s when she was a beauty queen who in like hitchcock's parody and case and then i i'm still unclear about what sex scandal kind of ruined her hollywood career but there's there's some bizarre story behind that but she's in a bunch of italian uh genre films in the 70s including like some top tier favorites like dario argento suspiria and uh killer nun (laughs) oh uh oh and she's in eyes without a face like yeah i love alita valley but anyway her son doesn't have the same screen presence as her but uh yeah, th- that was very interesting to me. You watched Species 2? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd never seen this. Uh, I, I don't I'm, I don't think I'm really a fan of the first Species. Uh, I, don't, I don't like the special effects in it. I'm not really a huge Natasha Henstridge fan either. Uh, but this was a lot of fun. Peter Medak, technically his last theatrical release was this film. Peter Medak did The Changeling and The Ruling Class with Peter O'Toole, The Craze in 1990. Uh, so I always thought this was a weird item in his filmography. And it it it's not good, uh, but it has some interesting, weird trash sex elements to it that I think are a lot of fun. I don't care for Michael Madsen, who's returning. Uh, you and I got into a discussion over, because I think Marg Helgenberger is beautiful and more striking looking than Natasha Henstridge, but that's just my personal opinion. Oh, yeah. My professional opinion is that that's not accurate, but, um, you know, attraction is subjective. Yeah, well, but Natasha Henstridge looks like all these other blonde ladies walking around here. I don't like. Oh, see, I don't think she does. I don't find her interesting to look at. Oh. But fine as an actor, but I, I don't, you know, because people talked about her then, like she's this, I don't know, maybe it's just the blonde thing that I find annoying. <laughs> well, now you've uh, just uh, well, no, that these attacked st- an entire no, community. No, it's not about that because Marg Helgenberg. Because <laughs> they're both blonde. But it's about these standards, these certain standards of beauty. And I, I don't. I thought she had an interesting note. Like she has like interesting, she almost looks like, um, she just has interesting features that look more natural to me than the other lady who looks like your standard, well-preserved. Oh, I, I think so. Maybe. I actually think the opposite of you. I, I think the one who I think is more striking has some more interesting features, like her brow bone. And I thought she looked nice because her hair in this film is sort of, you know, like that wet bob that's combed away from her face. Mm. And so I thought she had like a nice profile and. But they're both, I mean, obviously, beautiful ladies. Yes, I'm talking about them in a way that seems like they're not. I'm talking about what's more, what I'm gravitating towards is a screen presence. And uh, and I think. Well, sure, as a screen presence, I think the one who's playing the doctor is, I mean, she just has more to do. This this is true, too. uh, You watched Beyond the Door? Oh, God. Uh, There's a whole bunch of uh, 80s period Liliana Cavani films that I haven't seen. Uh, including the Berlin Affair, but I watched 
Beyond the Door, which also goes by a different title, uh, 1981, I think, somewhere in there. No, it's a little later than that, 84, 85. But anyway, it's got an interesting cast because it's got Marcello Mastroianni, who is in her film The Skin, which I highly recommend The Skin, and I've always wanted to read the book that that's based on. But this is along the lines of something like Half Moon Street. Uh, it's oh. not very good. There, <laughs> Tom Berenjar is the lead, and he's in love with this young blonde nymphette who ha- is having an affair with, uh, we think it's her stepdad at first, and she is withholding some kind of information that has allowed him to stay in prison for murdering the woman or something of that sort. But then it's revealed that he's not her stepdad, he's a real father. Uh, but, and that sounds interesting, but the quality of this film, it's so stupid. <laughs> it was so dumb. Lastly, you watched Charlatan. Uh, yeah, you know, I missed this at Berlin in 2020 and I'm a fan of, yeah, I'd, I'd say I'm a fan of Agnieszka Holland overall. Um, and I'd liked her previous film, Mr. Jones, although Spoor in 2017, I did not really care for, even though a lot of people did, um, this is about the true life story about a successful Czech healer named Jan Mikalocek, who was also gay, but then uh, survived the Nazis and the communists because, at least according to Holland's film, really had actual uh, medicinal talents along with some strange psychic abilities that he could diagnose people basically by looking at their urine. Oh, um, well, I know that people used to taste urine to check for diabetes. Yes. And, and he does have a couple, he comes across a couple of diabetics, but um, it was, I thought it was interesting. And really, if you are a fan of her, her definitely one of the strongest films of her late period, but she has, she's a very busy woman and she has a new film that's also about to be at Venice. Unfortunately, there is an entry in the obituary section. Bob Barker died. I'm I'm sad that I thought he already was dead. Um, when I so we did a live two days ago, and I guess the news dropped during our live because people were commenting. Well, I thought I someone typed Bob Baker at first, so I'm like, who the hell's Bob Baker? And then I saw Bob Barker, and then I was confused, so I never addressed it in the live. And then as soon as we got off, you told me, oh, Bob Barker died. But people know Bob Barker is the host of The Price Is Right. Uh, which reminds me, it makes me, it gives me bad chills thinking about childhood and daytime television. But, oh, but he hosted that show for like, what, 35 years? Yeah, he was 99. And then all the memes I'm seeing of like, because, you know, related to The Price is Right, it's like, I can't believe Bob Bob, Mark, Bob Barker made it this close to 100 without going over. Because that was the thing on Price is Right, right? <laughs> Yeah, and <laughs> so, and uh, like Betty White too. Huh? But I re- but I remember watching that show, and um, I know because I grew up in Southern California, and the show was filmed in Southern California. People who got to go on the show, but um, he was also known as an animal rights activist. So during each episode, he would encourage people to get their pets spayed and neutered, mm-hmm. and of course, he gave a lot of money to animal rights um, agencies or organizations but and then i of course i know that there was that sexual harassment stuff because of course you know he was a man any man working with beautiful women there's gonna be a problem yeah can't Um, can't kind of control themselves but uh yeah he's gone we need to take a break another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The secret movie today was my choice. Mm -hmm. And I chose the 1993 Canadian film Love and Human Remains, directed by Denis Arcon. Mm -hmm. It's based on a play written by Brad Frazier. Mm -hmm. Who, yeah. Okay. So first, I've had this movie on my list for a little bit. 
because one day we were we were watching something crazy and then oh long island expressway and then of course after we finish a movie that's kind of interesting we flip through what amazon is recommending and this film came up and we watched the trailer and the trailer is not a real trailer it's just one scene and it's a scene of a woman who's like walking on a busy street and then thinks she's being followed. So she decides to like run into a dark underpass (laughs) where no one can see her. That's the ticket girl. Yeah. (laughs) That made no damn sense, which we'll talk about. Well, I mean, I guess I just did. It's still a creepy moment, but it's like, but if, but, but, but it felt so ridiculous. I thought, Oh, this would be a fun thing to consider. So gay people, serial killers. Yeah. And then when I was thinking about it, yesterday and then read like gay people serial killer uh yeah so there's a podcast uh i listened to that we've both done an episode on Mm -hmm. called bgm bad game movies bitchy game man and y'all i've listened to every episode of this podcast and y'all know my memory's terrible they reviewed this movie (laughs) it was their november 5th 2022 uh episode Mm -hmm. and i listened to that episode Uh and did not remember so I just want to, I, I feel silly like I'm copying something, <laughs> but. No, more. I mean, if anything, uh, Denis Arcand should be thankful that oh. there's other people in the world that are interested in talking about his work still. Well, uh, there are a handful of podcasts I listen to and I try not to copy what they're doing. Of course. Uh, um, <laughs> but, but I did not remember. And also your selection for the secret film this week was a struggle. Uh, so I didn't know what you were choosing until it, I, I understood it was up into the air, up in the air until you clicked on this. So, <laughs> yeah, but uh, love and human remains. It's about uh, David, a gay former child TV star and his circle of friends who find their lives turned upside down when one of them turns out to be a serial killer. Okay. This movie, I don't even know what I would give it because it's, I don't think it's a good movie. I don't think, it's not <laughs> terrible, but I also, I do not think it's good. Um, it's very strange. Uh, yeah. And I have not seen any stage productions of the play it's based on. I'd be curious because the. I would describe this film as like someone took, three films from the 90s like a rom-com maybe like a straight up like drama a gregor Rackey film and and then like a suspense thriller and then they took the film and cut them up into like 100 pieces and then took 35 of those pieces and threw them up in the air and then in whatever order they fell stuck those pieces back together and then that was this film my, my problem with it is it's just trying way too damn hard to be provocative. And I think even the tagline of the film is something about love in the nineties. And it's like, uh, I don't. Yeah. It, so, but was it an enjoyable viewing experience? Yeah. Because it's so weird. It's trying so hard that I, want, I, I found myself puzzled in a, in a fun way. I was puzzled. Cause I'm like, where is this going? But it, the serial killing, element is really hovering far distant in the background and uh when when what i think it needs to do is lean into this kind of dennis cooper frisk filled territory okay i think that i have this movie i have the most notes i've ever had on a podcast film on this movie so i'm not I'm not going to be able to get through them. Oh, okay. But, um, and I guess I should try to tell the story. So it's set in Canada somewhere. You know, I don't know. Uh, well, it's set in <laughs> I think it's Al- Alberta, but I don't Edmund, know her. Edmund, so Edmonton. <laughs> anyway, it's, it's this group Edmonton. of 30 somethings. Okay. And I guess we focus on a guy named David, played by Thomas Gibson, who we know from Dharma and Greg. Can I tell you, I hated dharma and greg i hated that show every time i mentioned dharma and greg or either of the two leads dharma or greg you just i have to say that you hated i that show. hated that show so much i think thomas gibson's very handsome and he that's is, all i remember from dharma and greg he is and he's handsome in this but that hair's a problem well it's very 90s Ugh. so it looks to, to me, it's not a problem. Well, it, it looks like of the time. So the, all of the men kind of have similar haircuts. You might as well have given him that Cameron Bancroft cut because 
I don't think that's fair because I mean it is very much like what I would expect their hair to look like. Sure, I didn't like it. But, but anyway, uh, David is a former child star, uh, as in he was on a TV show when he was like a teenager. But uh, he's having a hard time finding work and it's not really clear why like if he's just not motivated or he has anxiety i mean i don't know he's a waiter he's got ennui but now he works as a server and he makes good money so he we need to talk about how many times this film brings up the fact that he's a waiter but and has a bus boy like it's his own there there's so much going on but david lives with his best friend candy played by ruth marshall um, and the way you felt about how you hate Dharma and Greg, I could stand this. Lady. Almost every scene of this movie, Joseph's like, oh, I don't like oh, her. I could stand her. I think she looks like if you were to mix Penelope Cruz with a water balloon. Oh, my God. There's oh, I just hated Like, I hated how she looked. And then her character supposed, she thinks she's like the shit. Yeah. She thinks everyone wants her. And she feels good about telling people she doesn't want them. I just. Anyway, there's someone on a rider in there, but that's that's the, that's part of the script's fault. So I think this is a casting issue. But her relationship with him made me think of like it's a prototype for queers folk. And come to find, this uh, scribe wrote several episodes of the American, well, American Canadian series. So David and Candy are roommates. David is clearly a homosexual, but then there's some ambiguity with like the way he's behaving feels very like. I don't know, like his fluid in his sexuality, maybe. Well, he had a bisexual stage, it seems like, and had a relationship with her. Okay, so David has a best fr- a, a best male friend who's straight, and his name is Bernie, played mm-hmm. by Cameron Bancroft, who is also very handsome. And we see that their friendship is a little strained because when david moved away from alberta i guess edmonton to pursue his acting and bernie his straight friend felt alone Mm -hmm. i just think that their relationship's so confusing but yeah okay so that's so there's that trio then candy is looking for love Mm -hmm. And she, we see her involved with two people, a man and a woman. That she happens to meet around the same time. Who she meets around the same time. The woman is this stalker who goes to her gym. (laughs) Yeah. Being so over the top. And then the guy is like a bartender she meets at his, like while he's working. Mm -hmm. And she's not really feeling either of them, but she's still spending time with them. Okay, there's another character, um, Bonita, played by Mia Kirshner. A dominatrix. Who apparently is very young in this movie. Like, the actor was like 18 in this role. Yeah, uh, she's a psychic dominatrix. Well, we need to talk all about that. But yeah, she's a psychic dominatrix, and she's very good friends with David. Mm -hmm. Then (laughs) there is a boy... A literal boy, a seventeen-year-old boy who works with David as the bus boy, who is in love with David, mm-hmm. but but uh, has not explored his sexuality clearly. No, but he knows David from the TV show he was on, so he's enamored with his celebrity, I guess, and then obviously finds him attractive. So they have a really uncomfortable uh, dynamic that we can get into, uh, but there's a serial killer so in, within the first like women. within the first like 10 minutes we see that woman who's walking on like a busy street duck into an uh, like a dark underpass to get away from someone following her and we see that she's killed and then we don't hear anything about a murder again for like 30 35 minutes and then we see there's like a newspaper with a headline and i have to read what the headline said it says murder first in a series, which was so confusing to me. How do they know? How 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 you know that this murder is going to be the first in a series by J.K. Rowling? Mm-hmm. Then we see a woman who thinks she's being followed, and it looks like she's about to be attacked. But then the film 
cuts to a different scene, so we don't know what happened to her. I think we're supposed to assume, that but we can assume that's the bulk of the murdering we mm -hmm. see. And then we learn that he takes an earring. And then we learn that the killer, like the a commonality between all the murders, is that there's one earring missing. So that so there's a red herring, a clunky red herring, yeah. because the one guy Candy's dating, the bartender. He, we find out he's also like, we think that he's kind of a philanderer, like he's. He's getting God the answering machine. Oh, uh, we, we we need to talk about that scene, but we think he's a philanderer, and then we get a message, uh, finding out that he's actually married with kids, and then we see that there's this earring, so we think that it's him because he's also violent with Candy at a point. He's but got it's, this earring in his carpet that she jams her foot on, and starts bleeding. And she's like, "What's this?" The most alarming thing about that is like, you haven't vacuumed, have you? Yeah, well, ugh. well, carpeted, uh, car carpeted floors already. But anyway, um, okay. But he's not the serial killer. No, the serial killer is Bernie. Who I think it's evident. That's why we get the red herring because it's so evident that Bernie is fucked in the head. Bernie is David's uh, straight best friend. He's the killer, and what's his reasoning for killing? Because David abandoned him, mm. so he needed something to do while David was off. Being an actor, that some, shit made no sense. It made no me. sense, as does the climax with Mia Kirshner, where David brings him there, where a woman can do us both, but do what? Okay, so we, there's so much to talk about. So let me just start going through these notes. Um, so Candy, Candy, like, is a writer, but she's like a critic, but a book critic. And when we meet her doing her job at home, she's reading a book called Teach Me How to Love by Linda Carlisle. That made me laugh. <laughs> and then she's saying, like, she doesn't even finish most of these books that she reviews because they're all crap. And dreck, she calls it. <laughs> she calls them dreck. Um, so David, I did think David was an interesting... <laughs> I think this movie feels like it feels very 90s, very angsty. You know, it reminded me of the slightly queer version of something like Bodies Rest in Motion with Bridget Fonda and Eric Stoltz from, I think, the same year. Well, okay, I'm not familiar with that movie, but I, I think like that it. the interactions these characters are having and the dialogue, like, to, to know that this is these are supposed to be 30-somethings is so strange to me because the conversations they're having remind me of conversations I was having like in my sophomore year of college yes. and not because I'm so mature and elevated. They just sound really basic and silly. Uh -huh. But David, um, he's he, that character kind of makes sense to me. Cause he's just kind of floating about, he keeps saying that he makes good money as a server. So why would he do anything else? Um, he has like a long, busy day at work. And then the minute he gets home, he changes so he can go out queering, which I think is funny because most gay people, most gay guys I know are like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of tracks. I got to go out. I got to be seen. Um, so Thomas Gibson, mm -hmm. you didn't like his hair. I thought he seemed like Canada's answer to Benedict Cumberbatch. Oh. He's a very interesting profile look, face, I, chin. Mm -hmm. This movie has some interesting like references for '93 because "Rhythm is a Dancer" is a song that plays at a club mm -hmm. that David Thomas Gibson character his character goes to. That that song plays for a long time. Yeah, and he has an extended <laughs> sexual interaction because he ends up having like sex with someone in the club, is and that a, song's still playing. Is this a remix? Yeah, is this the 24 minute? Uh, <laughs> Victor Caldrone remix. I don't know. <laughs> um, the ADR makes well for the dialogue seems really stiff to me, mm -hmm. and then the ADR makes it seem like it, it's just everyone seems so stiff, and it doesn't feel natural. Like when the people are talking to each other, yeah. And then I thought Thomas Gibson. Because remember, I kept saying he reminds me of someone. You know who he reminds me of? The voice work of Bob from Bob's Burger and Archer, oh, the cartoon. Okay. He sounds like that. Okay. Which I like. He has a very nice voice, but yeah, it feels very stiff. Okay, this friend Bernie. So he's acting like... He, I was surprised when we find out Bernie's not gay. Well, right. I think there are some things there that 
the play, I don't know if the play explored better or they don't get to in the film, but yeah, he, there are some dimensions to his behavior. I think that would have better explained him because he seems obsessed with his friend. And then there's a point when he comes over unannounced with a bloody nose that once we realize he's a serial killer, then we understand, Oh, he probably got that because some woman was trying to defend herself, Mm -hmm. but he comes over and spends the night and they're just hanging out like in their underwear. And also candy hates him. Candy hates him. He, uh, Bernie. And then, so Bernie's like in his tidy whitey underwear, just in the kitchen with his dirty ass bare feet propped up on the kitchen table. I couldn't deal with that. Okay. This bus boy. Oh God. Played by Matthew Ferguson. Mm -hmm. His name is Kane 17. I thought he was interesting because he looks kind of like androgynous to me. Yes. And because these characters are going on about sexuality, like David had a bisexual phase, I guess, and Candy's seeing a man and a woman, I was thinking, oh, I wonder if Kane is supposed to be maybe like, supposed to represent like what we would now call like someone who's like gender non-conforming or trans maybe even binary yeah but of course you know it's 1993 so they're not saying that but i thought that he was a very interesting choice sure but that relationship made me very uncomfortable yes i I think it's supposed to it is but in a way that just felt like why are we doing this for multiple (laughs) reasons number one being the age issue but number two being like you're obsessed with this man primarily because he was on a tv show well and he's attractive so it makes and i and i'm sure when i was you know 18 there were people who i thought were just like the bee's knees because they were older and seemed mature like i wouldn't have recognized that oh you're kind of a loser Uh uh-huh i would just think like i mean i remember thinking like oh you have like an apartment Mm -hmm. even though you have a roommate like wow you're like you, you have a car but then it's like i also had an apartment in a car at that same time so i don't know why i thought that was so impressive but <laughs> they show he brings uh david over kane does and pops in an old vhs and it's a taped recording of the show so we see the opening screen credits to a point uh we don't see a character that seems called indian joe i think yeah <laughs> it's important to know kane the 17 year old his uh dad is rich like they live in like this super nice house and kane drives around in like a brand new porsche and but his parents are never there and he's like i have to have the porsche home by one yeah that didn't make sense Mm -hmm. like my dad is in hawaii getting laid but i have to have the porsche home by one okay um and then i don't know how many lines there are about busboy related lines where thomas gibson's like i'm i'm tipping you out too much well, yeah, because when he sees it, he drives a Porsche, and but it's like, okay. He makes that comment. He but does he, make it more than once. Yeah. Um, another interesting reference is we see uh, someone watching One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah, and then they're, they're watching another film that I'm forgetting about, too. But This lesbian at the gym trying to get on candy was so confusing to me. First of all, she's really cute. She is so aggressive, and I just thought Candy was so unappealing that it just seems so. I just think that casting doesn't make sense. It doesn't, and she has, the lesbian has a haircut like that comedian you like to listen to. Um, oh, that white Merkel. man. Oh, like, oh, Theo Vaughn? Yeah. Yes. She has, she has, <laughs> she, a does. Theo, she has a Theo Vaughn haircut, and she's acting like Kim Basinger in My Stepmother is an Alien, i.e., uh, an alien that has come to Earth on a mission. Oh, she's giving extraterrestrial <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Very, the, the woman who felt, the lesbian who fell to Earth. But I just, I don't, Ruth Marshall as Candy does not make sense. I think Mia Kirshner would have made more sense as Candy. Like an, a Like a beautiful woman who is getting a lot of attention from every angle. But Candy, oh my God. To me, there's a point, the, sort of the climax of the movie is when there's a confrontation between Candy, David, Kane, and the lesbian whose name is jerry i think Mm -hmm. yeah jerry jerry Jerry. Jerry. so (laughs) but it's during that scene in the apartment uh where candy is wearing this tanya harding skater outfit in red that looks like she looks like if rachel dretch did a skit playing like an ice skater with that fringe oh my gosh she looked 
terrible. And we see Candy nude a few times, mm-hmm. and the way she shot nude is so unflattering. Like she looks like one of those like those photos with the corpulent women from like the Renaissance. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, there's one real interesting uh, angle, it, and notably, this was shot by Paul Sarosi, who. Sarasi. Well, I was thinking cirrhosis or psoriasis. Mr. <laughs> but there's no P in his name. Uh, who is sh- in his last name has shot a lot of Adam McGoin films, who also I think is a heavily overrated, like Denis Arcand, French Canadian filmmaker, but he shot notably The Sweet Hereafter. I still got a rant about Candy because when she meets that bartender, whose name I'm forgetting. Uh, uh, Robert? Robert. Is he tells her, you're a very interesting woman. Really? Where? How? What does she Who? do? Then they have a lovely date, it would seem. So she invites him back to her place. No, he's at her. She he's at her. She's at his place. Oh, she's at his place. Yeah. And she she and she, and they're having a good time. And she goes, "Do you want to fuck me?" Mm-hmm. And he's like yeah well i mean no well i mean yeah but like and then she freaks out that made no sense she's like fine i just want to cut through the bullshit never mind bye but i don't understand what she's mad about the yes or the no well (laughs) which what are you mad about he responded with he did want to but then he caught himself because it felt like a test based on how she she just oh she was so difficult she was looking for any excuse to get out of there i'm sure but uh apparently junk is slang for heroin I didn't know that. That's an. I feel like that's very of the period. But I didn't know what dope meant, and I still don't because I already forgot. What does dope mean? Isn't that marijuana? I thought it was marijuana, but I thought we learned that that's not marijuana. Oh, I don't know, but I don't do those things, so I don't need to. Okay, I don't need to know the street lingo. The dominatrix. What's her name again? Mia Kirshner. Benita. Benita Applebaum. Benita. I hated all the dominatrix scenes. I don't even. This is the part of the movie that feels like a rom-com. Like ugh. these are not sexy scenes. These They're are not sexy. They take me out. I don't understand the purpose. David uh, gets a late night phone call to help out a friend, which is the dominant to to pose in one of the scenarios as a a cowboy wearing all white. So she she's like a legit like psychic that too who has powers i guess uh-huh. like the so there's like this supernatural element to it i guess i mean if you think psychic ability is supernatural um but david who's still hanging out with this 17 year old boy who he doesn't seem that interested in he takes her to the dominatrix and tells him like well she does readings so i'm gonna have her read you and at first when he said it, I'm like, oh, read you, like read you. Read, read you to filth. No, like uh, read his aura or something. But to prepare to do so, they use drugs and they use junk, heroin. Mm-hmm. So this poor boy is high out of his mind. And then the dominatrix gets on him and is reading him and saying like, well, he's in love with you. And he's not 18, like he's been saying, he's 17. Mm-hmm. And he has an erection. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to... So then she that. goes, well, do you want to take care of that? And <laughs> David says, no, you do it. And gets up and leaves. And then we see her... Um, it's not like a cow needing to be Give this boy... Can... Yeah, I don't understand. Like, she gives this boy a hand job, And then has a Kleenex filled with semen that she disposes of. But not before she rubs it in David's face. I didn't understand that scene at all. <laughs> there, the what did I say? The dialogue isn't dialogue, and in, in a lot of these moments, that I, I the the connective tissue between one line to the next is not there all the time. I didn't want to have to take a break, but here we are. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Getting back to the lesbian at the gym, they go on a date, and on their first date, she tells Candy she loves her. Uh-huh. But she's made it clear that she's obsessed with her. 
again, candy. Mm-hmm. How many times do you think they bring up the fact that David is a server, used to be an actor? Why isn't he acting? Serving's okay. Like it just. <laughs> yes. Uh, That's a character. <laughs> being waitstaff in itself is a character of this movie. Yes. And it's just odd considering that AIDS also rears its head. But why isn't that more of a conversation? Well, we're going to talk about that in a second. But okay. So when David goes to uh, the boy's house, Kane's house, David gets mad because, like you said, Kane starts showing like a VHS tape of one of his episodes. But then David turns around and kind of is like seducing or toying with Kane and then tells him, turn around and pull your pants down. Mm-hmm. But this is after we see him kissing and we see Kane's fingernails and he has some long, dirty fingernails. There are close ups on the fingernails. So, you know, the booty's not clean. So, I don't know right. why he had that poor boy <laughs> turn around. And then the worst part about it and the funniest part is so then we see like a close up of his butt. And then we pan to David and then David starts to back up. And it's like that video on Instagram of Homer Simpson falling back into the bushes Mm -hmm. because he walks backwards and then he turns his head and looks at him. I mean, it was comedic. It's comedic, but also I I felt bad about the, like, if I was that kid, I'd be wondering what's wrong with my butt that you ran away from it. Well, that's what I think is so cruel about David's character is we all know that when we, like those experiences we have when we first become, you know, like explore our sexuality really inform a lot of who we become. Yeah. And David should know that. Mm -hmm. So the fact that he's playing with this boy emotionally and then doing something like that, like having him pull his pants down and then just like walking away Mm -hmm. (laughs) is really cruel. Yeah. Um, The scene where we do get, two sex scenes the one with david and, well we get more than two but the like the men on men is david well no david and the guy at the club with top ramen hair who apparently is an actor who's been in other things and then candy with um her bartender guy and they both talk about like is this safe so you know it's early 90s so HIV and AIDS are in full swing. No one actually says HIV or AIDS, but the virus. But they do seem concerned about safe sex. And then the guy with the top ramen hair, who we see in that early scene where rhythm is a dancer is playing for twenty eight minutes. Is that Aiden Divine? Is that Sal? Is it Sal? But he, we get a moment where he calls David and leaves him a voice message, like on his answering machine. <laughs> Mm-hmm. imagine having to leave that message on an answering machine because back in the day they were like played out loud for everyone to hear that he thought he was having sinus issues and didn't feel well went to the doctor and finds out he has the virus so you should go get checked even though we did less risky stuff mm-hmm. so i i thought it was interesting for a movie set in the early 90s involving gay men that they're not you know, every other line isn't about HIV and AIDS, which is, which is refreshing, but it kind of makes sense too, because by that point, you know, I don't think they needed to say that it was HIV and AIDS. Sure. Because we all know what they're talking about. Yeah. Right. So, but I, I agree. They're talking more about being a server than they are about safe sex in a movie about love. Like, (laughs) okay. Yeah. Well, you know, he, when he has that interaction in the bar he's like is this safe and i think the guy says something like would you want to live in a world where that's the only possibility or something yeah um so or over uh, that's not a yeah yeah which it's supposed to kind of be paralleled with a serial killer right so after candy tells uh, the lesbian jerry like i don't really want to see you <laughs> jerry is at a some performance it's very random watching some woman sing i can't help falling uh, in love with you the elvis uh, elvis presley cover and she's just like crying a single tear Mm -hmm. because she had bought tickets for her to see that concert with her and she brings the the scene that i hated the most is the the 
the confrontation scene where both lovers are in the apartment with David and Candy. Well, let's talk about that. But before we get to that, I thought a really funny moment that you didn't see because you stepped away for one second is Jerry goes to buy Candy a gift. And she asks the sales associate, do you gift wrap? And the sales associate gives her like this very bitchy look and goes, it's what we live for. Oh my God. I was howling. <laughs> but, oh, and then also that David, his character stays smoking a damn cigarette. Mm -hmm. It's kind of crazy. But yeah, getting to the scene you just mentioned. So Candy and David are at their apartment and Candy's getting ready because old boy is supposed to come over. So she puts on her uh, red Tanya Harding skater outfit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that is not flattering on her at all. And then all of a sudden the door, the, the door, someone knocks on the door and it's Kane, the 17 year old. So she's like, oh yeah, David's here, come on in. And then she's living for like the awkwardness between the two of them. And then of course, David has to shoo him away. So now that Candy's trying to finish getting ready, the door knocks again, and it's not the guy, the bartender she's waiting for, it's the lesbian Jerry. Mm -hmm. So of course, David's like, ooh, come in. <laughs> I wanna see how this goes down. And then while the lesbian is there, that's when the guy shows up. So now we have the four people in the apartment. It's important to know that he was late. He had a call. Which again, a red herring, because we're assuming he's late because he murdered someone. But things get heated when the lesbian's being awkward and she she had already given Candy that gift-wrapped gift. And then she's telling her to open it because the guy's like, oh, is it your birthday? And no, I'm not going to open it. And then the lesbian's like, no, open it, open it. And then she throws it on the ground. I don't want that. And that's when everything kind of blows because up. Because the guy's like, that is your lady friend. How could you treat her that way? <laughs> and then Jerry's like, I've slept with Candy. I think this is the, it's crazy. It's, but it's kind of the highlight of the movie to me is that scene. I don't think it's well done, but it's now, it's, you can see the like the where the gears of this scene should work, and it it doesn't because it doesn't make no damn sense. And at the end of that scene, Candy and David are mad at each other, and she goes, "Do you ever get tired of being a professional faggot?" And then they're just digging on each other. He's telling her, "The only reason you even like me around is because." They, they, you, you like being in love with the faggot because it's safe. They were basically. safe, yeah. But they're being very cruel to one another. This is also when we find out that, because um, after that scene, Candy decides to go see the guy. Mm -hmm. And that's when she finds out he's married. Because while he's in the shower, because we see him shower like more than once. I think they're having sex. No, that's the first oh, that's time the they first have sex scene, when someone calls machine, and yeah. says like, oh, this is so-and-so and Sally misses you. So clearly he he has a kid, but yeah. he tries to play it off like, oh, it's two of my homegirls. <laughs> but no, the second time she's at his place, he's in the shower and someone calls. So stupid Candy decides to pick up the phone and the woman's like, you bitch, I'm his wife. <laughs> so they get into a fight. Like he kind of like strangles her. Also, why did she pick up his phone? Why did she pick up you his phone? stupid woman. Why would well, especially when you know that it's going to go to the answering machine and that's going to be played out loud. So you don't need to make this worse. But then I thought another <laughs> ridiculous scene is we see Candy get strangled. She pushes him off of her. And then we see her go home, but not before she stopped at the grocery store. And then we see her binge eating because she's upset. Mm -hmm. And then she also screams at Jerry at one point, do you think I'm fat? <laughs> um, I thought a really weird scene is when the guy strangles Candy, she says, I could kill you for that. Mm -hmm. And then when Jerry comes over while Candy's binge eating, Candy slaps Jerry. Mm -hmm. And Jerry says, I could kill you for that. Mm -hmm. I thought that was weird. It was that they weird. both say the same. Yeah, uh -huh. <laughs> about, and then we have someone out in the background killing people. So then it's like, oh, we, were we supposed to think one of them is a killer? That's, I, I thought that was a poor choice. Yes. And then there's that. Well, 
because the lesbian stalker attitude technically she's supposed to be a red herring even though that didn't really register with me watching this that didn't work at all no um and then david has this one line because uh candy confronts him about kane i think in about what he wants and what he needs because his whole shtick is that he can't love and he doesn't believe in love um but he has a line that says i need a lover and that reminded me of this terrible song by Bright Eyes that my roommate in college used to listen to where the line is, I, I need a lover I don't have to love. Oh, God. Well, so then we get a moment where David gets picked up by Bernie and they they go see the psychic. But the psychic is having a, like a, a dominatrix session. And halfway through the session, she tells this customer I'm having a vision. A bad man is coming. You need to leave now. And the guy's like, what do you mean a bad man? She's like, he's going to do bad things. You need to leave now. And then that's when Bernie and David come over. Mm-hmm. And that's when it's like, oh. But we had already seen that David, when Bernie picks up David and they're driving in Bernie's car, David is digging in his glove box and sees a bunch of single earrings. <laughs> and that's when it's solidified like, oh, Bernie's the killer. Yeah. And he's like, they're souvenirs. <laughs> so they go to the dominatrix and David is, or Bernie's telling David, I want to show you like who I am. And then he starts kind of beating up the psychic, but because the psychic has like abilities, she's able to disarm him by like, like as the audience, we see Bernie's death, like he falls from a building. Mm-hmm. So that like discombobulates Bernie. And then they like disperse and end up on the roof. Mm-hmm. Bernie goes up on the roof and he's sitting on the ledge. David goes up there. And then that's when Bernie explains to David, like, you did this to me because like, what was I supposed to do when you left? Kill women. Kill women. I don't understand. I don't understand why he's a serial killer because his gay best friend doesn't live in the same town as him. He's talking to him because earlier in the film, he gets in his face. Like, I need you. You don't know. Like, I don't. Like, we're not like we used to be. Mm-hmm. And I was 100% sure they were going to kiss. Mm-hmm. So, th- yeah, I didn't understand that character. It doesn't, it, at least in the film version, does not make sense to me. So the end of the film, well, so then Bernie just says, like, he like he gives his final goodbye and, like, dives off the <laughs> roof and kills himself. Mm-hmm. Then we flash forward a few months, maybe, because we see Candy's hair has gotten longer. Yes. And... And, Tom, they are, and David's auditioning again. And David, Kane, the 17-year-old, who hopefully is now 18, and Candy are walking in the snow, and they walk up to like an audition because David's going to pursue acting now. Mm-hmm. And guess who walks out of the audition? Top ramen hair. Another lover he didn't have to love. The guy with HIV. Mm-hmm. And they kind of have an exchange, and it seems like maybe they might be friendly again. But I thought it was so shady that as the guy uh, walks away, he coughs. Like, well, he's like, I hope I get the part. And then there's this. <laughs> like like the AIDS. What's the movie we watch where someone has like full blown AIDS and they for only For Colored show... Girls. For Colored Janet. Girls. Janet Jackson's character has. <laughs> well, I remember watching that thinking like, is this like the end of the affair where Julianne Moore's dying <laughs> and she's just coughing? Okay. For anyone who hasn't seen For Colored Girls, I guess we just kind of ruined a big part of it. But Janet Jackson's married to Omari Hardwick, and he's uh, on the down low, having sex with other men. <laughs> and <laughs> throughout the movie, Janet's character has this... I mean, it's like Nicole Kidman in Moulin Rouge. Mm-hmm. It's just like this sort of moderate cough that isn't consistent. <laughs> and that's supposed to represent that she... Because don't they say she has AIDS? Yes. It's not even HIV. Yeah, she, this she, bitch has full-blown AIDS. <laughs> that from Omari Hardwick, yeah. Oh, God. This episode's a wreck because I feel crazy from no sleep. But what would you give this movie? Two. I would give it two out of five, but I would absolutely recommend watching it with oh, we people. Oh, you know, we didn't talk about the director. Oh, go ahead. Denis Arcan. Uh By this time, he'd already had kind of a major notable art house hit with Jesus of Montreal. But, you know, he's probably best known and remembered for his 2003 film, The Barbarian Invasions, which I think oh. was speaking to like the post 9-11 ensemble cast kind of way. And, and I I didn't really 
I didn't really care for that film. And, but I, and again, I didn't see it until years and years later when I'm watching Denis Arcon films on the festival circuit, such as his follow-up to the barbarian invasion days of darkness, which I remember seeing at my first Toronto film festival, but I dare I say his, his shit's unwatchable. Now the last thing I saw was 2014's an eye for beauty, which has does feature Edith Scobe, who's now dead. Uh, but that was terrible. And I think his new film, uh, Testament has had a hard time. Like all of the major festivals have passed on it for a premiere. I, oh. I, don't, I just think that he kind of was this notable director at a certain time, you know, decline of an American of the American empire. That's another big one in his filmography, but uh, he feels very dated to me. And this, this is in keeping with how I feel about the rest of his filmography. Well, uh, all right. What there's a well, <laughs> I'm gonna have to reset later because my brain is not working. You're leaving tomorrow for Italy, yeah. So next week's podcast, if we even have one, would be via Zoom, mm-hmm. and then we have a few reviews going up next week for sure. Uh huh. I believe. Yeah, well, technically one more thing to watch before I leave. Oh, but like the Good Mother. Oh, the final episode of uh, The Lost Flowers of Alice Hart will be on Friday. Sloth- El Conde, I'm not sure. That's the week after. Oh, that'll be the week after. Slotherhouse is next week. Oh, Slotherhouse, that's right. Uh, the thing you're supposed to watch with me today is that Simon Pegg talking mongoose movie. Oh. So, uh, yeah, fun times. Mm-hmm. I need a nap. Yeah. Do you have anything else you want to say? No, I have a lot to do today, including making a cake. Oh, and we're being interviewed. And we're being- for a podcast, uh, a, a deadline podcast, uh-huh. which is exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're doing that in like 30 minutes. Yes. So I hope I'm not as raggedy as I've just been. <laughs> You've been fine. All right. Ta-ta.